Welcome to the podcast of Rainbow Family Christian Center with Pastors Horace and Patricia Drumming. We would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray that you are impacted, inspired, and encouraged by the Word of God. Let's check out today's message. What an introduction. Thank you, Yinka. Let's open up our Bibles to Mark 14. Yeah. And while we do that, um, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your presence. Lord, you said you never leave us nor forsake us, O God. And so we thank you We thank you that you're here with us. That when we move out of this door later on today or we leave our homes, you're with us, oh God. Thank you for this promise. While you're here today, move by your spirit. Move by your spirit, oh God. We want your will to be done today. Not just from me speaking, even though I want you to speak through me, Lord. I want you to move through me throughout the day. I want you to move through all of us throughout this day, throughout this week, even as we're ending 2022 and we're moving into 2023, God. Have your way in us, oh God. Have your way. That's my prayer today, oh God. Have your way in us. Have your way. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. I really don't know how to respond to Yinka, you know. Um, it was such a wonderful introduction, and I, and I thank him and Amy for uh, being our brother, for being our sister as well. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it means a lot what he says. It's emotional, um, but I'm not anybody special, you know. And uh, oh, uh, Miss Pat said, yes, I am, because we're all special, right? Um, but I just thank God. I thank God for using me, even when I don't think people are uh, uh, watching or listening. Uh, I thank God for using me, right? Um, and Yinke was just speaking. Uh, I know a situation that he was recently talking about, Emmanuel, which we thank God that he's here. Um, at the beginning of October, about three weeks ago or four weeks ago, something more like that, um, he was hospitalized with RSV. And so um, I tried my best to be here. I was serving that day when he was hospitalized uh, because I trust God. I trust God. Even the, um, the doctor, one of the nurses was talking to me and I think a coworker was saying something similar, where they were they want to understand why we weren't stressed out, why Funta and I weren't stressed out, and I had peace not just because I know God could do it. We've already seen it in Gemma. See, Gemma was in the NICU for the first three weeks of her life, and the doctor literally I remember, I remember so clearly that he was explaining to me what happened. She, they thought there wasn't enough blood in her brain. Uh, in fact, they pronounced her dead. Funta was reading the, uh, 
medical papers recently. And the doctor is saying, well, she could have a lot of brain injury. And I was calm. And he's like, no, no, you don't understand. She can have a brain injury. And I'm like, okay, that's what you say. But that's not what God says. And I'm like, okay. So if you know anything about me, if you're really combative towards me, and I feel like I'm not going to be able to rationalize with you, I'm just going to say, okay. That doesn't mean I agree with you. That just means I'm not going to fight with you. I'm going to still believe what I believe and do what I know I need to do, and that's pray. And that's call upon God. And in those moments, I, we thank God because even though I, I don't wish that any of our children are in the hospital at all, not, and I mean everybody in this room, I pray that that won't happen. But I know if it does, that God is a deliverer. I know that he is able to restore. And when you look at even Gemma, there's no wrong, nothing wrong with her. They wanted to enroll her and watch her as her life uh, progressed and say, okay, well, is she missing marks? Is she not being able to reach all those, um, what do you call them, milestones? But she didn't miss any. And so we thank God because he's faithful and he's just. And the same God that rules in my life is the same God that rules in your life. And if he doesn't, he should. If he doesn't, you surrender to him. Because he's faithful. He is faithful. Even when I'm not faithful. You know, a lot of times we look at our own life and we say, well, we got to be perfect for God to move in our life. I'm not always perfect. But God still moves in my life. It says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. And so I thank him. I thank him. And I know I'm getting off topic because we're supposed to move over to Mark 14. Um, but when I get an opportunity to share, I have to share. And it's not just here. Notice, I, I told my coworkers what happened so that they would know Jesus. Because I know I work in a place where there's a lot of godless people. There's a lot of people that profess, I don't believe in God. I don't think there is one. Well, guess what God did for me? Guess what God did for me? All right, let's go to uh, Mark 14. I don't know if I told you the verse, but 32. Uh, we're going to read down to 52. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went, along, uh, went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by him. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? 
Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping. For they couldn't keep their eyes open. And they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them a third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed unto the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And immediately, even as Jesus said to this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you, you can take him away under guard. And as soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him a kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Jesus asked him, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you've come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man, followed, following behind, was clothed only with a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. You know, normally this would be a scripture that we would touch on near Easter or Lent, right? That's um, uh, Easter season, the Passover season, right? This is normally what we want to touch on. But when I was reading this verse, because I was actually uh, going to teach on communion today. I was, for several weeks, I'm like, okay, let me teach on communion. Let me teach on communion. But when I started reading this verse, uh, or this chapter, which communion comes before it, um, I got stuck on verse 50. I got stuck on verse 50. What did, what did verse 50 say? It says, Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. And another translation, it says, They all forsook him and fled. They all forsook him and fled. This is such a strange verse. Not strange, weird, but these are his disciples. These are the ones that he slept in their home. These are the ones who he prayed for their mom, their kids. They saw miracles. They saw signs and wonders. 
They've walked with him for three years. They performed miracles. They led people to him. And in his greatest hour of need, they deserted him. They deserted him. You know, it's one of these scriptures that you can read a million times and you can just gloss over it. It's like uh, the scripture over in uh, the book of Judges where it said, um, and there was no king in Israel. And everybody did what was right in their own mind. And you read those scriptures, or you read that scripture, and you say to yourself, okay, let me just keep reading. It's not about the story. But you have to pause on this scripture and really dissect what is going on. What is happening that they all deserted him? Now, we can see in verse 51 and 52, there was a reason for them to desert him. This mob was violent. It says a young man was following them, right? And what did they do to his clothes? They tore off his shirt. He had to flee naked. They were violent. They were unruly. They intended on harming people. So it's not surprising that his disciples ran and fled. But these are the people that have been following him for forever. They gave up everything. He's, he literally walked down the road or walked down the sea on the, uh, the beach and said, come, follow me. And they left their nets. They left everything and followed him. Why would they flee in this moment? And it's not like he hadn't warned them that this time was coming. Did he not warn them? Was he not trying to prepare them? Why? Why? Why did they desert him? Why did they desert him? I mean, can you imagine having friends like these? Say, I'm going to rise and die, as they say. I'm going to follow you to the ends of the earth, right? I'm going to be with you always, right? First of all, I don't think I've heard that from any of my friends. Um, but if any of my friends did say that to me, I guess I would look at them kind of funny, knowing this scripture. But can you believe that you, like, you're, you really have somebody that you hang out with? Like, Shaun is one of those people where I hang out with. If, he, if I was in trouble, which I, he has seen me in trouble, he has not turned away and, 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 and fled. He has stood with me and prayed. So what kind of friend is this to be hanging around? And Jesus knew them. He knew them. He knew them when he picked them, what kind of friends that they would be. And he still picked these people. It's crazy. It's crazy. You know, um, when my grandmother passed away in 2007, I was in college. 
and uh, Sheun was there uh, at school with me. And many of you know, if you don't know who Sheun is, he's uh, one of the sons of this house. And he um, literally just prayed, just prayed with me. But it was a dark time because I live, if you don't know, I lived with my grandmother growing up. All right? I grew up with her. Uh, she raised me from the time I was five years old. She's the one that took care of me. When I went off to college, she's the home that was, you know, her home was my home base. And I remember I flew to New York for an interview with one of these investment banks to do an internship. And on my way home, I got a call that said she had a brain aneurysm and she was in the hospital. And I remember wondering, like, what in the world is going to happen? What, what do I do now? My foundation, the person I relied on the most, has passed. Who do I turn to? Right? Have you ever been in that situation where you experience the death of someone you love? Someone that you call daily? Someone that you, you love, you know? Not just love, you love them. You know, if you know anything about me, the love of my lives before Funta, right? were my grandmother and my great-grandmother. Those are the people that I just love spending time with. And she was gone. So what do you do? What do you do? And when all the people who are supposed to be surrounding you flee, when you're in that time of calamity, when you're in that time of trial and tribulation, and all the people around you flee. Man, Jesus is a loving person. He's a loving person. know where I want to go. So I asked the question, why weren't these disciples more prepared? If, if God had equipped them and told them, why weren't they prepared for this time? Why? And to let you know, like if you read all of Mark 14, and I was talking about communion, right? When you think about what communion was, is it was a time for preparation for when he was leaving, right? So he says to them, you know, after he eats up, he had given thanks, he broke the bread, and he said, take, this is my body, which has been broken for you, right? Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup after he up and gave thanks for it, and then he said, this is my, what? My blood, a new covenant. Drink. Do this in remembrance of me. 
As long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes again. Right? But what was the significance of him saying that? Do we really think about that? When you look at Levitical law, right, you are not supposed to drink the blood of any animal. Levitical law said the life of the animal is in the blood. The life of the animal is in the blood. God said, do not drink the blood of any animal. For that reason. He gave the reason. Now, God doesn't always give reasons, but he gave the reason. And so he says, here, this is my blood. My life is in you. Drink it. My life is in you. This is why then you read over in Colossians where he says, hey, the mystery of God is now revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in us. So he's telling them before he's going, he's saying, I, look, if you know the scriptures and you know who I am, I am the sacrifice. Be prepared. I'm about to go. But I'm not really going because I'm in you. I'm in you. And then he says to them, hey, my, the, the body, do you know what the semblance of the body of a sacrifice is? Does anybody know who is allowed to eat the, the body of the sacrifice? Probably not because we don't really care about Levitical laws anymore. But the priests were allowed to eat it. Only the priests. Why? It said it made them holy. No one else in the camp, right? You had the Levites, right? who were God's set tribe, his, his tribe. And then within that tribe, he preserved the priests for worship. He preserved the priests to make atonement. He, provided, he, he preserved the priests for himself to do his work. These priests, when they ate the body of the sacrifice, they were say, he was saying, you have been reserved for me. So now, when you think about it, he's telling his disciples, you have been reserved for me. You're not supposed to do everything that everybody else is doing, but when you're a follower of me, you have been now taken out of the common folk, and you are preserved for me. You are reserved for me. So before he's leaving, right, this is what he's telling them. He's telling them, I'm in you, and you are mine. I have called you holy. I have called you a chosen generation. I have called you. You're mine. This is what he's saying before he even leaves. So why are they not prepared? Why did they run so quickly? They were equipped. They had to know who they were. But think about it. Even I just saw this. 
Jesus didn't even call Peter by his name. What did Peter, what did Jesus just call him? Simon. That's the old Peter. That's the flesh Peter. That's not who God said Peter would be. Because he knew, he knew he was going to tuck and run. And he already told him this at the dinner, right? He already told them. So he knew everything that was going to transpire, not meaning that he wanted this to transpire. I, um, you know, this is such a, the flight and, and uh, the, the fleeing, it is such a carnal response. It's a fleshly response. You guys know what I mean by carnal? It's a human response. It's a natural response to run. Now, it's not their first natural response, right? What was their first natural response? To fight. One of the disciples pulled out his sword and cut off someone's ear. And Jesus says, in another, uh, I think it's over in Luke, he picks up the ear and heals him. And he says, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Right? So the first response was to respond with violence. Right? That's the natural response. And we can all say that that's a carnal response, right? And then the next response was out of, okay, if I can't fight, I got to flight. I got to flee. Again, a carnal response. You know, uh, I've heard many people say, well, you know, the disciples went back to their old way of life after Jesus died, Right? And they're very harsh towards them, right? Saying, what, what were you doing? Why did you run back to your old way of life? And I always thought, like, maybe that's a little too harsh, right? Maybe that's a little too harsh. What would you do if the person that you've been following for uh, three years, who you've devoted your whole life to, who you've given up your job for, what happens when they're gone? What happens? how would your response be any different from theirs? And so I, you know, I never wanted to look at them like, oh my goodness, they went back to, to fishing. But in reading this scripture, they didn't have the right response. They did not have the right response. Because what the response was is, let me respond out of my emotion. What I'm used to. Now, even though I'm talking about how we respond either fighting or flighting, you have to now put yourself in this story and understand how do you respond when you're under pressure. Because not everybody in this room will pick up arms and try to fight. That's not your personality. There's some are, some aren't. Some people here will never flee, right? They're not going to flee. But what is your carnal response. We've seen in society, there's all sorts of mechanisms. Oh, let me get drunk. Let me rely on getting high. 
oh, let me cut somebody out. I got a right to. Oh, oh, let me respond by doing lewd acts with other people. That's my coping mechanism. That's okay. That's how I cope. But it's a carnal response. It's not what God intends for us, how he intends for us to respond. It's how we naturally respond. And God is saying, your natural response is not good enough. It's not what I will for you. Uh, can we go back to the garden of Gethsemane? Look at um, look at what is happening here. Jesus is saying for them to pray, right? And they're sleeping. You know why they're sleeping, right? Because they have the itis, right? They ate. Look, they had the last supper. They ate. They ate good. And then they said, let me go, go to sleep. Let me lay down and go to sleep. That's what they were doing. They said, we couldn't even control our bodies. Right? Read it. We don't know why we're going to sleep. We're going to sleep. They, they literally laid down. And it's so crazy because in, in Luke... It says Jesus was so, or maybe it's John, but it says that Jesus was so vexed that blood was coming out of his pores. Can you imagine? Look, I've, I've seen uh, some people pray, right? I've seen some, some people shouting, and, 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 but I've never seen blood come out of their pores. I've seen some hollering and, and hooping, but I've never seen that. But can you imagine sleeping while somebody's praying like that? <laughs> can you imagine? I, I mean, I can't imagine. I, you know, sometimes I want to go to sleep on <laughs> some people praying, um, but they're not praying like that. No, you understand? You understand what I'm saying. Or maybe only kids go to sleep while they're praying, you know? And we don't go to sleep while other people are praying. Anyway, um, let me not touch that. But when you, when, you, when you look at Jesus' response to, response to them, oftentimes we focus on the first statement that's made. What does he say? What does he say? What does he say? That's not rhetorical. What does he say? Will you not tarry for an hour? Look, look, look. You guys, I know. Wake up, please. Wake up. I guess you're sleeping now, right? Because I know that you know this scripture because Pastor Horace uses it. Will you not tarry for an hour? And it's not bad to use, right? It's a call to prayer. Can you not tarry for an hour? And then we focus on the end of that as well. We go, oh, because the flesh or sorry, the, the, the spirit is willing, but the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But what does he say in the middle of that statement? 
He says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Sometimes I think we miss this. Sometimes I think we miss the significance of this in relation to verse 50. The hour was near. Jesus knew it. He was sitting here praying because he knew what was coming. And instead of them praying with him and shoring themselves up, they were asleep. They did not pray. And so when the time came, they had no knowledge of what they were supposed to be doing. So their natural response was to pull a sword. Their natural response was to flee. But we have no idea what God wanted them or how he wanted them to respond because what were they doing? They were sleeping. He told them, your temptation is coming. Now, a lot of times we think of temptation as only of a sexual sin or something like that. But they were being tempted because this trial was coming. This trial, when Jesus was going to be arrested, when they saw their leader, who they had been following for many years, were taken by, was taken by a, a mob of people, that vexed them. That troubled them. And some of us have been in these situations where we're troubled, and we respond immediately out of our flesh because we haven't spent time in prayer. And this is exactly what God is trying to show us. This is exactly what God is trying to show us. And by the way, I understand that Pastor Horace has been talking about prayer, and I'm not trying to piggyback on this. I'm telling you, if I could have preached something else today, I would have. But God would not let me move from verse 14 to 50. And you know what that means? Is that me too, I need to hear. I need to hear what's being said. I need to hear because I'm like, why, why am I stuck here, God? I don't know. Have you read the Bible and get, just got stuck? And he just says, read it again. Read it again. And I'm like, oh, let me move past this. But as I read it again, and I'm like, why, God? Why did they flee? Why? And then I read again. I read the scripture again. And I said, wow. They did not seek him. They were so caught up in their flesh that they didn't hear from God. And guess what? Look at Jesus. Is he being hypocritical to them? No. He himself is saying, my flesh is weak, but my spirit is willing. He's saying, God, your will be done. Because you, we know in that moment, Jesus' will was not to go on the cross. But he said, God's will be done. He didn't want, we always think like, oh, he's just a lamb going to the slaughter. Well, a little bit of goat came out of him. <laughs> A little bit of goat came out of him. He was like, ah, I don't really know, God. I, I know you have all power in your hands. I know you can rescue me. I know you can save me. But your will, God, 
And he was getting himself built up for the moment. He was getting built up and nurturing those those muscles because he knew he was going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. He knew that he was going to have to rely on God's word and not look at the circumstance. He knew what was coming. He knew he was going to be beaten and broken, and he wanted to flee. Man, he could have got out of there faster than any of us, but he said, your will be done. So what is God's will for our lives when calamity comes, right? When when we're being tested and tried. What is God's will for us when we get that diagnosis? What, how does God want us to respond? And I'm not saying that there's no moments that we can't allow our emotions to, to motivate us because even God says, hey, be angry, but sin not. Even we can see Jesus he wept sometimes. So this is no, this is not to say that we cannot allow our emotions to be involved in our being. God made us with emotions. They're a part of us, but we cannot be driven only by our emotions. We need to hear a word from God. We need it because the day is near. You understand what I'm saying? Trials and tribulations come to us all. How do we respond? And God is not sending these things to you. Don't get it twisted. God says, I do not try anyone. I do not tempt anyone. You know that verse in James? I do not tempt anyone. Let no man say they are tempted by God. It comes from our own lustful desires. And then it gives birth to sin. The sin here is that they fled because they did not know. They did not know what they were supposed to do. Amen? Let us go over, because I want to give you an example. Let us go over to uh, Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Or, why did I say Genesis chapter 1? Sorry, Alfred. We're going over to Genesis chapter 4. So Genesis chapter 4. And I'm going to go down to verse 6. And if you know the story of Cain and Abel, you know what happens. But let me read verse 6. And it says, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Here we see an example where again, God is reminding, he's preparing Cain. He's telling Cain in a conversation. This is what prayer literally is. He's having a conversation with God and he's saying, look, your anger is about to give birth 
to something you don't even know what you're about to do. Right? He's saying, but you must subdue it. You must be its master. But what happens to Cain? Sin becomes his master. So God is warning us. He's, he's telling us. He's telling us the time is coming. Just like he's telling Cain, there's a time that you're going to be tempted. But be in my presence. Be in my presence. Be in my presence. Now, you guys know how the story ends with uh, Jesus. Now, surprisingly, even after disciples run, even after the disciples flee, does Jesus judge them? No, he's loving. He's loving. And I want to say that because some of us have probably encountered some situations in our life where we know that we responded carnally when we were supposed to respond spiritually. But Christ does not condemn you. Christ does not condemn you. He loves you. He's forgiven you. And he said, come on. Come on. What happens after Jesus appears to the disciples? What happens? He meets with them. He communes with them. Right? And then he says, go and do what? Go up to the upper room and pray. The call is still the same. And so that you would be endued with what? Power. Power. So even after they mess up, even after they do what I think is like, I'm forgivable. You left me in my time of need. He says, I love you. He calls them into his presence, and he, he searches for them and says, come to prayer. Come and meet with me again. You know, it reminds me of one of my favorite um, songs, uh, Larnell Harris. I know some of you are too young to know. I'm too young to know who Larnell Harris is, um, but he has a song. I miss my time with you. I wish I could sing. I won't, I won't do that song favor. But it says, I miss my time with you. Those moments together. I want to be with you each day. And it hurts me when you say, you're too busy. Busy trying to serve me. But how can you serve me when your spirit's empty? There's a longing in my heart. Wanting what is it? Wanting just a part of you. It's true. I miss my time with you. And that's sung from Jesus' standpoint, God's standpoint, saying, I want this relationship with you. I don't want you out on the, the end. I don't want you to beat yourself up because guess what? This is why we have communion. To understand that your sins are forgiven. The blood has been shed. The price has been paid. 
So even though you may have messed up before, you don't have to keep messing up. Because not only have I forgiven you and made you righteous, but now I am telling you that you are made holy. You belong to me. You have been sanctified and purified. You've been sanctified and purified. You've been made right with God, and now you belong to God. You're his, and he's yours. Amen? I'm going to actually end with, uh, end it there. I want to pray. Can we all stand? Can we all stand? Can we all stand? Father, we thank you for this time today. I know I haven't been up here long today, Lord. But I hope that someone has heard a very word that would prick their hearts, oh God. That it would touch them to know that you are a loving and just God. Lord, I, I want them to know, like you have told me, that you love them sincerely. That you've forgiven their sins. And just as you have been raised to life they too have been raised to life not living in sin not living by their carnal flesh but living by the spirit of God who breathes in them every day oh God Father have your way in each of us today have your way in us oh God Breathe into us afresh, O oh God. Remove anything that is unlike you out right now in the name of Jesus. And cleanse us. Cleanse us with your word. Cleanse us with your blood. Wash us white as snow today, O oh God. Thank you for making us right with you today. Thank you, O oh God, that we don't have to leave here the same. But we understand that, God, that we are yours and you are ours. And as we leave this place, God, let us not forget the words that you spoke to us today, but let us meditate on them until they become life to us, until they become alive to us that we live by them. We don't just teach them. We don't just preach them. We don't just say them, but we live by them, oh God. We want to live by your word. We want it to be in so in us, oh God, that every move that we make, every word that we say, everything that we do, it just emits you, oh God. We surrender everything to you. We surrender everything to you. Father, and if any of these people here have not given their life unto you and they want to give their life unto you, O oh God, we're praying 
for them right now, Lord. In fact, we're going to say, uh, uh, um, we're going to pray together, Lord. Believing for our friends, believing for our families, believing for those who are watching uh, through our video cast, Lord. Congregation, can you just repeat after me? Say, Lord, Lord come into my heart. I know you are my Savior. I know that you died for me. And you have given me new life. I am not the old me anymore. No matter how many times people want to remind me. I am new in you. Lead me. Guide me. I will follow hard after you. I surrender, O oh God, to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you all. if you take your seats for just a moment. As Kyle was in that particular passage of scripture, he shared with you how um, he started out with a journey of, I want to teach, I want to preach on communion. But there are certain things that God is trying to get us to see that we can soon forget. We can soon forget. And communion was instituted by God himself, by Jesus himself. And he says, I'm doing this because I'm trying to help you to realize you will soon forget if you do not put these things into practice. He even shared with them on that very night, as often as you do this. When you go through the Bible, you'll find that Matthew Luke and Mark talk about this day. John doesn't talk about the communion. Those three books do talk about. And in, the, in each one of those books, he is just sharing with people, this is something symbolic that you do to remind yourself that you can easily forget. You can easily forget what God has done for you. You can easily forget the sacrifice that is made so that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You can easily forget people who have sacrificed for you. And God says, I don't ever want you to forget. And so he gave us something called communion. He says, I need you to realize that you have access to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's like Kyle said, God's not mad at you. He's not angry with you. And he's saying, come commune with me. Come communicate with me. And, and, and he showed them, he took them to the garden and he said, this is your earth to heaven communication. It's called prayer. This earth to heaven communication will help you because pressure is coming your way. The enemy is going to press you to be a deserter. The enemy is going to press you to leave your faith walk 
and get into fear. Yet God has said to all of his people, walk by, not by. What you see can put so much pressure on you. So much pressure that makes many people want to just run and hide. Do you realize in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve was under pressure, what did they choose to do? Run and hide. Even God himself saying, Adam, where are you? And you know, we've shared with you, when God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's trying to get you to refocus. I don't know what you will draw from this message today, but I hope you understand that God is saying, I need you to refocus. I don't have to re-preach what Kyle preached. It was clear. All kinds of things are coming your way. They're not good. But God can bring you out to what is good if you learn to pray. Thus the Bible says, a man ought to this church prays too much, Pastor. I don't think we pray enough. There's people praying every morning. Don't you want to see morning by morning new mercies? Then a man ought to always pray. The only scripture that the Lord has ever told me to put on the wall was that scripture. And that scripture speaks about what? Prayer. What God will do if his people will do. No wonder Jesus kept coming back to them, shaking them and saying, come on. All I'm asking out of 24 hours that I give you is for one hour. Terry. See, won't I turn some things around for your life? Communion says, but how soon we forget. As often as you do this, you won't forget. I had a sin and a debt that I could not pay. Jesus had no sin and a debt that he did not owe. Jesus owed no debt. He sinned not once. But he took yours. He took mine. He took the world's sin. That's why a cross is so significant to me. I'm on a personal level here, but I believe every church ought to have a cross. We pushed a cross so far back when it comes to worshiping God now. We just want lights. We want smoke. We want other stuff. It's the cross. And how easily we can forget that there was a cross. And Jesus said to you and I, we're supposed to pick up our cross. 
and do what? Follow. Follow. I love the fact that he re-invites you to do the same thing that he invited you to do the first time. Acts chapter 2 is where Jesus is re-inviting the church who would help, as we would say, start the New Testament church to go to the upper room and pray. Go to the website. Find out when we pray. I don't do Google Calendar. I heard Yinka talking about Amy sending Google Calendar invites. Maybe you should send one to yourself and invite yourself to a time of prayer this week. Make it important. Make what Jesus considers to be important to be important on your calendar this week. Prayer. Don't neglect it. Don't forsake it. Don't forget it. You have your cup in your hand. Jesus says this is to remind you that my body was bruised in many sense just tortured so that your body wouldn't be so that whatever weapons that was being formed against you wouldn't prosper to remind you that you are loved Nobody will love you like Jesus will love you. Nobody will go the distance with you like Jesus will go the distance with you. You will never be able to say that Jesus deserted you. As the word says, lo, I'm with you. Even until the end of the ages, God's with us. Say thank you, Lord, for being with me never leaving me, never forsaking me. So I take this bread remembering that I have a friend that sticks closer than a friend. And I am a friend of God. Father, thank you for helping me to remember that I ought to always pray Take the bread together in Jesus' name. The cup. A vivid reminder. In the early church, they called this the Eucharist. Some of you have been to various churches, and you will see this written on perhaps the program, a Eucharist. In some denominations, it was then started to be called mass. But the bottom line is, it's a cup of blessing. Say, I'm blessed. Say it again, I'm blessed. And the Bible says this cup should remind you that you're an overcomer. You overcome anything that's trying to overcome you through the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. You just decree and declare, what has God said concerning the matter? 
you and I have inside information, and I'm not talking about stocks and trading. I'm talking about relationship. And because of this relationship, I don't care how many times people want to bring up your faults. The Bible says, the blood says you've been washed. You've been cleansed. You've been made what? Whiter than snow. All because of the blood of Jesus. So, Father, we won't take this cup unworthily. We ask you to forgive us if there's been anything in our lives that's been contrary to your will, contrary to your word. We repent and ask you to forgive us of our trespasses. Forgive us of that sin. And we purpose in our heart to go and sin no more and to receive the cleansing and to receive the communion and the colonia that God wants us to have with him through the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on our behalf. Open and take the cup together now in Jesus' precious name. There's a song that I couldn't stop singing. I drove here this morning, about a 25-minute ride, and I just kept playing the song over and over and over again. I want you to sing it with me. I've asked Alfred to find it in uh, our media booth, and many of you know this artist, recording artist, her name is Nicole Mullen. And the song is simply entitled, I Know My Redeemer Lives. If you know your Redeemer lives, I want you to stand and just raise your hand to him. I stretch your hands out to God. And just thank him that he's your Redeemer. And the Bible says, as you know him as a Redeemer, you then identify, I am the Redeemed. And the Bible says, the Redeemed people of God say so. They say so. It is a part of their lifestyle. They say so. They're not ashamed. Like Kyle said, I tell my co-workers what Jesus has done for me. I tell my friends what Jesus has done for me. I tell my neighbors what Jesus has done for me. Why? Because I know my Redeemer, he lives. Thanks again for joining us today. Here at Rainbow Family, our mission is to love God, love people, and change the world. If you would like to partner with us in any way, we encourage you to visit our website at rainbowfamilychristian.org.